0: Welcome, this is Kim Addis from Frame of Mind Coaching, and I am the host of Resilience Radio, where I interview guests who are professionals at crushing the tough stuff. Today, my guest is Steve Ash from Edmonton. Steve, are you there? I am here. So you and I met at a tech presentation. I do a lot of presentations for tech, and you happen to be in the audience. In fact, you weren't supposed to be in the audience. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yeah, that is correct. Our sales manager here grabbed me and said, hey, what are you doing this morning? And I said, you know, just regular work. Why? And uh, he said, oh, I've got a tech conference. You want to come to it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. And that just happened to be the day that you were presenting.
0: Okay. So you work for a company called Fireball. What is Fireball?
1: Uh, Fireball Equipment is a, oh boy, that's difficult to answer. We're a multifaceted company. Uh, First and foremost, we do fuel and lubrication infrastructure for uh, everything from mines to uh, car dealerships to like a jiffy lube that you'd see on the street uh, just driving by. Um, What I do there is I am the engineering manager uh, and we mostly deal with the industrial side of things. So that would be mines, heavy duty truck shops, things of that nature.
0: Wow, sounds very complicated. So, you are in essence a mechanical engineer. You have lots of experience in the oil and gas industry, but you're not a typical engineer.
1: That is true. I'm, I, well, the less nice people would call me sort of a freak in the field of engineering because I can actually talk to people. Um, my strengths and talents kind of lie contradictory to most other people. They're very detail oriented, they're very organized, they're very focused. Um, the people side of things always came naturally to me, and the the detail and organization you know, are things that I struggled with in the past and had to develop skills to mitigate that particular weakness.
0: So that's very interesting. I want to kind of slow down because I I mean, a lot of the people we work with are the highly driven leaders who. Uh, really aren't detail oriented. Who are visionaries more than uh, more than focused on the administrative, you know, organizational side of things. So number one is, how did you learn that?
1: Uh, how did I learn the people side of things? Like the no,
0: you or... said the people side of things came naturally to you. So how did you learn the organizational side of things? You said that was more of a challenge, and you had to learn that.
1: Uh, that's very true. So how did I learn that? That's a really good question. I guess it's one of those things that I sort of naturally kind of flowed into the technical field. And when everybody's doing better than you in certain situations, you, you know, I'm competitive enough that I don't want to lose. Uh-huh. So it's, uh, I actually hate losing, but I had to learn how to stay competitive with people who just had that natural aptitude for things that I didn't. And, I, I can't keep track of 19 million things in my mind I have running lists I have check boxes I have apps on my phone I have like a, a to-do list journal that I fill out every morning just to keep my priority straight because I'm so prone to jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing that I you know I'll never get anything done so it's it's been a lot of trial and error it, I wouldn't say that there was any defining moment where I learned it it was just a coping mechanism that's you know, now become part of my everyday life.
0: So you use tools that are available out there. You use the word journal. So tell me about that a little more. A to-do journal, what is that?
1: Uh, <laughs> so my wife and I found something online. There's uh there's something called the productivity journal. And I don't remember who makes it, but basically it's a weekly journal and, you know, you write your your five, you know, I must complete these this week, and then your next five most important, and then your five least important, I guess you could call them. And then every single day, um, you say, this is the one thing. If I got this one thing done, it it would be a win for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: here's the next two, um, and then here's the next two. And then each one you assign a specific length, the time that you think it's going to take you to do. I think they call them, uh, it's the Pomodoro technique. You know, each chunk Pomodoro. is 25 minutes.
0: Okay, yeah. I've heard of that.
1: Yeah, each chunk is 25 minutes, and you know, you say, oh, I've estimated this is gonna take me three pomaderos, so you know, uh, 75 minutes, and then you know, how long did it actually take you? And then you kind of give yourself a score at the end of the day. How productive did I feel from one to ten, and why? Um, and like I said, I'm really prone to to jumping into things and being, you know, excited by the shiny things. So I having that open on my desk in front of me will ground me and kind of bring you back. Like, no, okay. I'll get to that later. I'll add it to the list. I need to concentrating on getting this thing done because I've been putting it off for three months.
0: Okay, so the Productivity Journal. Guys, write that down. Okay, so you are the manager of a group of engineers. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, engineers, technologists, and project managers,
0: yes. Okay, so what is it like to manage people who, I'm going to be a little bit of a generalist, who aren't typically people people? What's that like?
1: It's challenging. Um, (laughs) a lot of times it's very cut and dry. Um, there, there's a tendency to speak in absolutes that's sometimes very productive and sometimes the antithesis of production. It's, it's amazing how sometimes people who are super, super intelligent and very amazing in their field get hamstrung by something that's very simple, you know, like they had a disagreement with a coworker and now they're not talking. Mm -hmm. Um, so as a leader
0: how do you manage that like what is it that you do to get through that do you interfere do you mediate like what do you do
1: well there is sort of a interpersonal conflict let's say um for some reason and i can't explain it this particular group of people will just let they just yeah it's not that big of a deal it's not that big of a deal until it blows up in one form or another Mm -hmm. someone makes an offhand comment they make a joke that someone doesn't take as a joke and then, then I get involved, sort of by default, because I either see it or I hear about it, or someone comes to me. Um, I don't interfere so much as I do mediate. Um okay. I will talk to one person, or the other, or both at the same time. I'll try and get the full story. Um, and then, usually, what'll happen is, is, we get like I'll talk to one person, then the other, and then we'll get each other. We'll all be in the room together, and we'll talk about what happened. And a lot of times, it seems to be that someone didn't understand what they said um, affected a person in a negative way. They just assumed that it was business as usual.
0: So I want to pause here because I think this is really important. We find that a lot of leaders are uh, face a lot of interpersonal conflict within their team. So you have two people who, you know, something went down and then there's a lot of tension and, and they don't know how to resolve it. And a lot of times what leaders do is they do get involved. They do get, they do get in the middle of things. They do, I will even say, try to mediate, get two people in the room. Those conversations aren't always completely authentic. We think that it's resolved, but they're still harboring kind of lingering negative feelings, et cetera. And so what I want to do is always help the leader coach both individuals separately right? So what you don't want to do is really get involved, actually. And what you want to do is absolutely get the story, but help each individual understand what beliefs they had about that interaction and how those beliefs may be really the cause of the tension. And, you know, just like you said, you know, could they have read it this way, right? So perhaps offer another view of the of the situation that just went down. But I always want to take the two players separately and independently and coach them to manage themselves, manage the situation, go back and have a conversation, not a conversation that is necessarily mediated, because I want to not be involved in these things from here on in. So I want to be able to equip them to have conversations from here on in. So it's kind of like having two kids and they get into a fight And a lot of times parents, you know, sit down both kids so that they can talk. And what I always encourage is you don't need to be in those conversations. You need to kind of take each child aside and and coach them so that they can have direct conversations without you. So I I just wanted to bring that up. Really, really important. But you're already demonstrating some pretty cool coaching skills, even as you're mediating. So very interesting.
1: Oh, thanks. It's, sometimes it feels like I'm just uh, running around blindly and, you know, hoping for the best. So that's good to hear.
0: Well, what, what I see is that really amazing leaders have, um, have developed over time some pretty critical coaching skills. And that's one of my passions, my mission in, in life, really, is to help leaders coach their team instead of having to get involved in every little encounter kerfuffle that takes place. So, but I wanted to go back to you for a moment. You, as, as a child, you didn't kind of have a dream to be an engineer. So how did that unfold?
1: Uh, actually, growing up, my my dream was to be a fighter pilot. So thank okay. you, Top Gun. <laughs> right. um, but then so. once I found out I didn't have perfect vision and, you know, I'd have to join the military, that sort of fell out of, uh, that fell out of my world. But um, I was one of those really terrible high school students um, who just What's showed terrible?
0: up. What's terrible? Okay. What kind of grades
1: my, did you get? Uh, terrible as in I didn't live up to my potential at all. So I got 70, 75%. Um, you were
0: an average student.
1: But that was I, I never studied and I never did homework. So if I had actually put in effort, it could have been 85, it could have been 90. That's the story that I tell myself anyway. Um, okay. And I had no idea what I wanted to do afterwards zero, zero clue. Um, I always pegged myself as, you know, no, I'm never, I'm never going to go to university. I'm never going to be a university student. And that was a story that I kind of made myself believe. But and
0: why, why was that? What was unattractive about university to you? Or why didn't you think that that wasn't for, like, why did you think that wasn't for you?
1: I, I can't really put my finger on it. Like now it just seems like a very immature thought. Um, but I just, I, I just didn't see how I would fit in there. I didn't see that it was for me. I just figured, you know, like, why bother? I don't know what I want to do. So why would I go? It just doesn't make sense. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I I just, I just never thought of it, but I still, I think subconsciously I did think that I was capable because I don't know how it works for you are, but we have like the 10, 20, 30 level courses in, uh, in Alberta here. Okay. So, you know, like you have your, if you're taking math 10, you know, that's the best, um, you could take math 13 or math 14 and those are lower grades of math. But I took all 30 level pure mathematics, physics, chemistry, biology, 30. Like I took all the courses that one would take to get into university. Okay. So, um, I, I kind of left myself a little bit of an out there, but I, yeah, I, I finished high school and I worked in a restaurant for two years and, you know, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was adrift without a without a direction. And then uh, I had one of those life-changing epiphanies where I saw someone kind of who I worked with in a very bad space in life, um, you, know, you know, like drinking and substance abuse and things of that nature. And I figured, oh, this is definitely not where I want to be. So within the span of a week, I had quit that job, got a day job, and uh, applied at the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology here in Edmonton. Um, because I was, I, I need to do something. I can't do this anymore. It was just like a struck by lightning, everything changed moment. So that was a wake um, up call. Oh yeah, very much so. I saw exactly what I did not want my life to be and how it okay. could very easily go that way. And I decided to uh, pull the emergency brake on that. Okay. Um, I went and I, I did engineering, design and drafting technologies at Nate for two years and then got a job and, you know, I was drafting mechanical stuff and I, it just, it fell into place for me. It was thinking in three dimensions and mechanical aptitude had always been there, but it never really clicked that that was a thing I could do. So started working for some, uh, oil field companies, you know, uh, working on downhole tools, things of that nature. And I, uh, <laughs> an ex-girlfriend actually bet me that, you know, I could never go back to school again. And we were, Walking through the university campus because uh, there's a, uh, a metro station there. We we're walking through and I was like, it is beautiful here. It is. All the buildings are old. It looks great. You know, the lilacs are blooming. It just looks amazing. I, I could go here and I got that. I bet you you couldn't do it. Right. So that night um, I paid the $275 or whatever it was that for night. my app. Yep, for that application um, to see if I could get in. And then just to prove her I, I, wrong. Well, I promptly forgot about it because I I will be honest, there was a beer garden or two involved before that. Uh So I applied and, you know, probably forgot about it and didn't really think too much of it. And then, you know, six months later, I was like, oh, yeah, I wonder if I'm going to get a phone call about it. Oh, what am I going to do if that happens? And I had just changed jobs. Um, This is February of 2008. I had just changed jobs and kind of started working at a startup and then you know, I got the the email saying like, oh, yeah, your application is in process. You know, we will we will let you know. And I went to vacation. I went to the Dominican Republic and I came back and my dad handed me an envelope. that was from the university saying, hey, you're in get ready to go to school in three weeks. So and
0: so were you excited or did you feel like you just kind of signed a not a death certificate, but a, a, like, oh, man, what did I do?
1: terrified I was absolutely terrified because I was like oh man here we go I'm gonna what was I thinking you know I am how old was I I am 22 almost 23 I'm going back to university this is crazy who does that actually no I was 23 almost 24
0: it sounds like uh, it sounds like you were like 80
1: I know it's (laughs) but it just I was thinking like oh what am I gonna do you know oh like like all this calculus and I started freaking myself out and Um, it's, it was, I built it up way more in my head. Um, and I showed up and I just, it was a struggle. The first year was a struggle. I think my, my GPA was a 1.8 or a 1.9. Um, and this was me actually trying, mind you, not just coasting. Um, the math was very difficult. I wasn't used to the caliber of, uh, questions. The caliber of expectations was totally different. Um, cause I'm, I'm still used to like, you know, high school and a small, uh, technical yeah. institute where the teachers care about you. Now you're just a number. They don't care if you show up. They don't care if right. you pass, you know, it's up to you. The onus is on you to go and get, um, coaching or tutoring or ask them questions, go office hours, you know, things like that. And I just, I was not prepared. And I, fortunately I built a network of really good friends, um, who ended up supporting each other the entire way through, and I'm still really good friends with some of them now. And by by the end of my tenure at uh, university, like I was like a 3.1, 3.3 wow. student. Um,
0: so, so I want to ask you a couple of questions. So, at first, you after high school, you went to work in a restaurant. What did your parents think about that plan?
1: Uh, I made a deal that I I would only take a year off. Uh, it was with my mom. She said, "You need to go and do some sort of post-secondary." I don't care if it's a trade. I don't care if it's college. I don't care if it's university, but you, you need to get something. Um, because both of my parents never went to college or university. My, uh, father went to the university of Guelph for a while and then, uh, he unfortunately dropped out. Um,
0: so how so much do you think that Im- influenced your decisions?
1: Uh, I would say fairly significantly. It was, you know, like, don't let mom down because, you know, no one likes to get that. I, I still love you, but I'm disappointed in you, speech. So right. I didn't want that. Um, but it was, it was kind of like an impromptu contract looking back at it, you know, like, okay, you can take a year off and find yourself, but you need by that end of that year, you need to have a plan in life.
0: Except you took two years.
1: Uh, I think now I started when I was 17 and I did it when I was 19. So it was, I was working at that restaurant when I was still in my uh, last year of high school, if I, I remember correctly.
0: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so that's question number one. Question number two is how did you carry on when your marks were so low? Like, is there any point at which you said, you know, what's like, I just feel like quitting at this point? Uh,
1: not that like, I feel like I'm quitting or I felt like quitting. It was, you know, I'm going to stay here until they kick me out. Um, okay. that was sort of the mentality for myself. Like I said, I don't like to lose. Um, I don't like, I uh, like I'm very competitive and I'm surrounded by people who are doing better than me. I want to be those people. I want to do better than them. Um, okay. so that really assisted, but there was a couple of times where I very, well, this is it, you know, it's, it's game over. Uh, there was a, there's a few classes in mechanical engineering that, uh, are a struggle, I will say. Okay. Um, you hit the multivariable differential equations in third year and it's like, you know, just give me a number, you know, that would be great. You know, everything's (laughs) it can't be solved as zero or it's one. Come on, just give me something. So that the the theoretical, very like high end math I struggled with. Um, Some people see it as elegant. My, my wife is one of them. She's a chemical engineer and she, she just, just gets over the moon and she gets really pumped up about things like that. And me, I don't, understand it i see the pattern i know if i see this i have to do this i just it doesn't click for me but i found a method to go my way through it
0: okay did you meet her at school
1: i met her the very first day in the very first class wow yeah it was uh
0: so you really won
1: (laughs) (laughs) well we were friends for three years before we even started dating so i just i sat down beside her like hey i'm steve oh hey i'm kathleen and we just we were friends um almost instantly so
0: okay well that worked worked out for you when you look at your life now what is your greatest challenge
1: i look at my life now what is my greatest challenge oh you're asking the tough questions (laughs) um uh, i would honestly say where to go from here is my toughest challenge right now um because starting, you know, working my way up in a very non-conventional career path compared to typical engineers, I was exposed to different things. Coming up in a company that was almost a startup, you know, I started there as a drafter and then I went back to school and then I came as an engineer and I was kind of put in a little box.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: oh, that's just that's just Steve. That's who he is. That's how he does things. And unfortunately. So was doctor- it,
0: wait, was it an engineer box or a Steve box?
1: It was a Steve box. It wasn't an engineer.
0: And define that. Define that. What does that even mean?
1: Um, when I started at that company, I was fairly young. Um, I will throw out the word immature. Um, didn't really know, you know, the higher end of things. And I, I was kind of goofy. I was, you know, I was just that goofy guy, Steve, um, who isn't that detailed, who isn't that technical. So we'll find a spot for him where, you know, he can't hurt himself or others. That's but So why funny.
0: did they hire you if you weren't that detailed and kind of immature? Like, what was it about you that got the job?
1: The drafting and design stuff I was very good at. Um, <laughs> I, can, I can think in three dimensions very easily. Uh, it's a skill that they teach you when you're in school. You start drafting and you transpose things from two dimensions to three dimensions. And it just it clicked for me. What would take people an hour or two would take me 20 minutes. Okay. It was just one of those things. So that really, really helped with the the drafting and design portion of things. And I, I was challenged by it. I could you know, even those things that became monotonous, I would say, you know what, I did forty of these last hour. Let's see if I can hit fifty this hour. Okay. So I was always kind of pushing the status quo a little bit. And you know, as far as the the, the goofy, immature thing, I mean, that that's some personality aspects, but they never really trickled into the work. I would say. Okay. Um, they also they put me into like more of a, a field engineering or small projects position. So the field engineering was, you go out to site, you know, you get the phone call, hey, you got to fly to Ecuador or Peru or Albania or Australia, and you got to go and this thing's busted, you got to tell them how to fix it. So I would go and do that, and it fit with my particular strengths and, and skill set and personality because I like challenge. I like new things. I am good with people. Uh, I really love to problem solve, and I can, I'm can i adaptable. I can think on my feet. So I was kind of a, a natural for that role. And then when I was in the office, it was more of a small projects thing, so I wouldn't get bored. But if you, if you stack me up against someone who's very, very technically oriented and very, very um, focused and organized it, from a technical aspect, I can't really compete with that.
0: Okay. So go back. Your question is what's next for me. So, yes. you know, I, it's funny. I just got off a phone call with someone that said, well, you know, think about what's scary and do that. Like, if you think about what's scary,
1: scary for me. Oof.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like what's uh, a real stretch? Because it sounds like you're the guy who likes the stretch. You're the guy who likes kind of being the comeback kid.
1: (laughs) That's very true. Um, Ironically enough, I just had a conversation with my boss um, two days ago on Tuesday because I I told him, you know, this is what I think I want to do in my future. As an engineer, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. As a manager, in my opinion, I think I'm doing pretty good. Okay. And, I told him, you know, like one day I want to be in a GM role. I want to be in a VP role. I want to be in a CEO, whatever it happens to be. Like, I, I feel like this is not my, my pinnacle. I feel like I can do more. And that's, that's scary because when I accepted this role, it was way outside of the comfort zone. Uh, What do you mean I'm responsible for people? What, what do I have to do? Oh, I have to discipline people now. Oh, That's going to be uncomfortable. That's going to be not that nice. Um, especially where I'm at now, because I worked with these people for a year and a half to two years as a peer. And then all of a sudden I'm their manager and I'm their supervisor. And that was a, that was very uncomfortable and still has its moments where it's not that awesome.
0: Well, it's interesting, right? Like you think about, uh, even the word discipline is, is interesting because it sounds like you're reprimanding a little bit, um, And as a leader, you don't want to be in that position. You want to be in a position to inspire. You want to be in a position to lift people up. You want to be in a position to help people live up to their potential. And in order to do that, you have to be able to envision their potential. And sometimes leaders, um, their vision gets cloudy when someone isn't performing and they just get disenchanted with that person and they can't see the potential anymore. And sometimes that's a problem. Do you ever experience that?
1: Um, it has happened in the past, but more when something happens and, you know, someone's not living up to their expectations, usually my first question is, is do they have what they need? Okay. Um, you know, w- am I missing something? Do they need something from me? You know, um, because I, I remember what it was like when, you know, when you're trying to do complex three d work and your computer doesn't work right and it keeps crashing on you and then your boss comes back to you and says, why aren't you done this yet? Well, because my computer's crashed six times in the last three hours, and then they get mad at you, like it's your fault that you don't have the hardware necessary to do your job. Right. Um, so that's usually the first place that I start. I, you know, what do they need? Do they have everything that they need from me? Okay, yes or no. Do they have everything that they need from the organization? Yes or no. And then, you know, okay, have I been coaching with them? Have I been spending enough time one-on-one? Do I know what they want? You know, what's their drivers? Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually where I start. And then, you know, after that point, sometimes, you know, things just, they're not right. They don't click. Um, fortunately I haven't experienced that more than once. Um, but that's usually where my mind immediately goes because right. so I know your
0: that, mind, yeah. your mind assumes positive intent, which is great. Amazing. <laughs> that's, that's a real, a, a, an amazing character trait for a leader. That's fantastic. So as you're on the phone, you're talking to someone who's a coach and, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who coaches, you know, people who are highly driven, people who do want to achieve larger goals, people like you who do maybe one day want to lead the company or be the CEO or just move up. Do you have a question for this particular coach?
1: I do. Uh, What advice would you give to someone to take their career to the next level, be it you know, I want to become a manager, I want to become a VP, you know, just anywhere, like what advice, like, what's your go to stock advice?
0: You know, I remember, I remember listening to something one day, um, about how, how a person should move up. And what, you know, the answer is take, take initiative, take initiative with respect to your learning, with respect to your development. So I remember one day someone was uh, talking about the fact that they didn't have a computer at work. Mm-hmm. And they felt like, well, it's their it's the company's job to get them a computer and the response was no, it's your job to get yourself a computer because it's your career, it's your life, it's your learning, it's your development, it's your productivity and it's your success. And so very much in the same vein. Right. So what is it that you want to learn? And I would really focus on identifying the, the ways you want to develop on a personal level. Like what turns you on? What lights you up? Like you said, hey, I'm a pretty good engineer, but I'm a really great manager. So it sounds like your strength is in the area of people. So how do you develop your leadership skills? What can you do in that realm? So maybe it means, you know, going back to school and getting an MBA. Maybe it means learning how to coach. Maybe it means getting a coach. Maybe it means, um, you know, spending some time on a personal level with all the CEOs you can find and interviewing them and learning about how they handle people effectively. It doesn't matter what that looks like. But for you, it's what's the initiative that's going to light me up and turn me on and help me personally develop that that isn't driven by my boss or the organization. It's just something that I take on on my own because it's exciting and interesting for me. So a lot of people just kind of wait until someone gives them instruction. And I would suggest to you that as a leader, leaders don't wait. There is no one to give them instruction. They make it up right? They decide what it is that they want to do next based on really their interests and what totally turns them on. So that would be my advice for you is to really think about what do I want to learn next? Where do I want to grow? And sometimes people don't know. And that's where um, a coach comes into play to say, Hey, you know, let's look at all your strengths. And it sounds like here is the avenue that would, that if you pursued it, you would get the highest ROI. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, it does. I'm just writing it all down.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Got it. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, one of the exercises we do with our clients is that we get them to receive feedback from the people in their lives, personally and professionally, sometimes even, you know, asking their spouses and their kids and their family members, their friends, etc., like, what am I amazing at? What's my sweet spot? What do I do without any effort? What comes to me naturally? And very often our clients are shocked at what they're hearing because they didn't know that others saw them in that light. But more than anything, they didn't realize that there was a pattern that showed up in a lot of different areas of their lives that showed up as a real strength. So for me, when I did this exercise, I did it oh many, many years ago, maybe even 20 years ago. And I remember asking the people in my life, like, what is it that you think I'm really strong at? And, you know, (laughs) my mother said, you're great at sales. My father said, you're a good talker. Um, A friend of mine said, you're really great at uh, rallying people and getting them to see a vision that you have. Other people said, you're really great at communicating. But what it boiled down to was you're able to express yourself with ease and share an emotion, a story, a vision, an idea. And I never knew that about myself, had no clue. And that really had a strong influence in leading me down the road of starting my own coaching company. So you don't know what you're going to find when you really focus in on what your strengths are.
1: Yes, I'm interested and scared at the same time. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well express why are you scared what's scary about that it's kind of exciting from my point of view what's scary
1: what's scary about it well i feel that like maybe i like if i found something that i didn't know about um that then i would put pressure on myself okay you know how can i usefully apply this you know and and what if what i'm strong at actually isn't in alignment with where i want to go i think that would be the also the scary part of it as well
0: Well, you'll find that what you're strong at is usually something you're already doing and you just may have not even seen it and you may not have designed your life around it. So I rarely find that if you're strong at something, it clashes with where you want to go. Usually if you're strong at something, you want to incorporate it more and more and more in where you want to go. So You know, you may see something that looks like a clash to your destination, but if you can incorporate it, your destination becomes much more fruitful, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, you're kind of on a natural trajectory, and then this could be the jet fuel to get you there faster.
0: That's exactly right. I love the way you just said that. That's exactly right. So you want to incorporate your strengths in wherever you're going, because you want your journey to be a natural one one that's easy and fun and joyful and really inspiring to you. So one of the interesting characteristics about you is that you have a competitive spirit. And for some people that competition actually wears them down. It, it's a bit self-destructive. For you it really fuels you in a very interesting way. And so I would look at that a little bit more closely and say, so like how do we leverage that? We don't have to answer it, but that's something I oh, would okay. explore. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Steve, I want to say thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's, it's been fun for me to talk to you because um, you are not the traditional engineer. And, and it's interesting to hear your story. And it's also fun for me to see that you are on your journey. You're in, you know, in transit. You're going, You're in the middle and seeing the kind of thinking, the kind of turning that says, "Okay, what's next for me? And I think a lot of people who are listening are also asking themselves, what's next for me? So thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us.
1: No problem. Thank you.